welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Today is going to be a different episode. Um, today's episode is going to be uh, a panel discussion that happened after the documentary screening of Beyond Men and Masculinity. Uh, we had um, Alex Gabay, who was the director, um, Dr. Judy Chu from Stanford University, and two young men actually joined the panel, uh, Lucian and also Justin. Uh, as you'll see, and if you watch the video, you would know that the conversation was really dynamic. Um, and if you listen to it, you will hear the voices. You will hear a young Lucian at nine years old, nine and a half to say exact, and Justin, a high school senior, really speak from their heart. Um, Justin is just learning about our work as a 17 year old and Lucian at nine is learning about our work. And imagine the difference of eight years of growth, re realizing that you have permission to talk about how you felt, realizing you have permission to take off the mask. And I'm really excited for those two young men and I'm excited for the work that we're gonna be doing right now in the Taking Off the Mask podcast. I want to share, and some people won't be able to see this, but I'm going to share a couple of masks that I collected from a little village in Mexico last week. The village is called Teotitlan de Valle. Teotitlan de Valle. And these are people who make mat. They make uh, rugs in this village. They're they're tapetes. They're, they, they're, they're weavers as a tradition, the Zapoteco. Um, and I'm going to share a video clip that I made after I left one of the the classes that we did, it was a class of students learning English in this little village. Um, and we took them through the mask activity. It was so beautiful. Letting them learn some English, work on some of their language, but also uh, thinking about the Million Mask Movement. And so I want to share a few of the masks with you. Uh, and so I'm going I'm, I'm, to show it on the screen for those who are watching, and then I'll, I'll read it out loud. So this first one um, on the front says, um, happiness uh, these are the things I let people see. Remember the front of the mask, the things I let people see, um, and surprise, um, and the things that this person didn't let people see, um, sadness and preoccupation and worry. Preoccupation in Espanol is worry. Um, this next one, some, these are some really cool designs. Uh, the front says, uh, sportsmen, kind sometimes and scandalous. This is the things I let people see. Yeah. And on the back of the mask, I don't let people see um, when I'm being unsuccessful and uh, failure. I don't let people see failure. Um, this next one on the front of the mask, it says, um, let me see, make sure that's clear. Okay, great. The front of the mask says joyful, bilingual, entrepreneur, and queer, that's the front of the mask, the things that let people see. And on the back of the mask, there's a lot of words. Um, it says, broken, decriminalized, betrayed, lonely, uh, monster, messed up, self-critic, and abused. Um, and then this last one uh, that I'm gonna share with you, these are uh, one more person who shared a mask with us in this movement. And this is all in Spanish, so I'm going to translate for uh, the front of the mask. Actually, there's some words in English. It says love and happy. And then uh, two words in Spanish, divertida. That's like fun. 
and timida is like shy. And on the back, it says, Cuando tengo un problema, uh, when I have a problem, I don't let people see that. Cuando estoy triste o enojada, when I am sad or angry, I don't let people see that. And worried. So those were four different masks that we collected. I think the in total, I did, did a workshop with maybe three or four workshops, and there was about 20 folks total. Um, but it was so beautiful, just in another language, another space, a small little village in the middle of Oaxaca, uh, being able to explore the masks with people. I got to make my mask. I got to uh, draw some different masks. And there's some, some really artistic people uh, who came to those workshops in a village of artisanos, uh, artists and weavers. Um, but it was so beautiful just hearing their words out loud was also beautiful. So uh, thank you for being on this journey with us. Um, what you're going to hear in the panel of uh, after the documentary, The Beyond Men and Masculinity, you're going to hear um, people talk about what it was like to ex watch the documentary, to explore. You'll hear me giving my own thoughts and feedback around it. But also as we continue to work with young people and giving them permission to feel. We'll continue having deeper dialogue and deeper conversation about the Million Mask Movement. The Peer Mentoring Project is growing, so if you have not yet had a chance to be a part of this first wave of masks, we really invite you to be a part of it. There's some really exciting things coming on the horizon in the next couple of weeks that we are gonna be sharing with you, but we want you to be a part of where it is right now um, and you can go to 100kmasks.com and make a mask, 100kmasks.com, um, and be a part of this movement. And share it with somebody. If you make a mask and you feel some feel inspired, share it with somebody. Tell somebody what we're up to. Um, and we look forward to you being a part of the journey with us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. And please enjoy the panel um, at the end of the U.S. premiere of Beyond Men and Masculinity. Um, we thank you so much for being on this journey with us. Ever forward. Here's what we're going to do. The first question that came in was from Brendan Chan, and it came in the chat, and then uh, we encouraged him to put it in the Q&A. So I'm going to ask the first question, and then we're going to just start going from there. You know, what's how we're going to do it. So I'll, I'll work on moving people. Um, and Justin, if, I mean, Julian, if you can help me move Justin and Lucian to the to the the stage, the state, our, our virtual stage, that would be helpful. Um, but the first question says, all the men and boys that appeared in documentary said yes to entering and showing up in these spaces. How do we get more men to say yes? Um, and so, and then the follow-up to that was, and how do we create more of these spaces? Um, that was, the question was by Brendan Chan and uh, Shane Adams um, added in the part of, of how do we create more spaces? So for either of you, like, how do we get more men to say yes to showing up in these spaces and doing the work um and even how do we create more of those spaces so uh, i'll start with either one of you who want to start and i'm out um i can start um i i think i think the most important thing is it's it's about recept about how um we create an environment for that so um being you know, like the work you do, I mean, giving, giving people the chance to saying it's okay, you know, so you have to create a space for that, where it's okay to be whoever you want to be, where it's a safe bubble. And that's quite difficult, because I think it's not, it's not a, a, a kind of 
what do you say, cookie cutter situation? You have to do it around the community that you work with. I mean, every perception of a safe space is different um, depending on the community. So I think it has to be localized, understood, um, and, and encouraged. So, uh, you know, I think each each situation is sort of different. And I think we, we have to sort of encourage people to to think creatively about how they're going to provide the safe space. How do you create a safe space? I think Alex is absolutely right. And also, I mean, I think the good news is that um, boys and men are able and very much interested in showing up in this way. But, you know, as, as Alex said, they need to know that they can trust the space, that they need to feel comfortable with the space. I think that's one of Ashanti, your greatest gifts is that you have this amazing presence that invites people to come and be open and mm. honest, and they know that they're going to be taken care of when they are. And so it, it, um, so I think, uh, and the, uh, so in terms of how do you get men to show up? The thing is they're, they're ready and they're willing, but they need to know that, you know, the person who's asking them to show up is genuinely interested in having them come and be there, be themselves. And then how to create those spaces, it starts with listening. I think part of, you know, again, your gift is that you're there and you're listening in a very um, honest and genuine way. And people read that immediately. They know when somebody is, you know, and Alex had the same gift as when he was filming us. I mean, there was a way he got all of us to speak openly about what we knew and what we had observed and experienced because we trusted that he was, we trusted him as a listener. And so I think it starts with listening, creating those safe spaces. And, you know, obviously there's other things like respect and, and just a, um, a sincerity and, and then willingness to be honest and, and vulnerable yourself too. And I think all of those things are people, the participants read immediately. And when they don't sense those things, then they don't enter those spaces, even if they wanted to. I guess you could decide to just add, I think you could also say the curiosity is part of it. Uh, you know, like you're curious, Ashanti, to know how, or genuinely curious to know how everyone in your group is doing. You wanna, you wanna hear more. And when someone wants to hear more and ask the right questions and says, "How are you feeling?" But how did that work for you? I mean, how is you know knows what you're going through and asks further questions. It's the door is open, and uh, a lot of the time, people you know don't ask those questions. Or you know, they're not interested, or they're you know, people are just paying lip service to that. So I think, you know, as Judy says, your, your quality, for example, is that you're genuinely interested and you genuinely, you know, create that space. I want, thank you for that. And I, I and this, okay, thank you. And, and, and Lucian, Lucian is one of our young men. He's in our new circle. We have a, a fourth through sixth grade circle. Lucian, welcome. Good to see you. Hello. Good to see you. So you, I, you're in our new circle. You're in our new circle. There's Dr. Chu and Alex. Um, um, Alex, Alex, pronounce your last name for me because I want to make sure I say it right. My last name, Gappy. Gappy. Yeah. Hi. Solution for you being a part of the circle. How is it for you? Like how 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 was it made comfortable for you to start coming to this space and talking with the other boys in the circle and beginning to meet strangers, but also being in a space where you've could talk about stuff what, what was it about the circle for you well I mean I feel good first of all and I can share my secrets and well yeah I just feel like I can really trust everyone and yeah totally like everything good about the circle <laughs> how, how old are you can you tell everyone how old you are because I think you're probably our youngest uh participant here 
nine and a half. Awesome. Half. Okay. You got the half in there. There may be a nine-year-old here. So right on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here tonight and I'm glad. How, how did you enjoy what you saw tonight in the, in the documentary? It was really helpful. At least I thought, but I don't know about all of you, but it was helpful for me. Right on, right on. Well, I'm glad you were here. I'm glad you were here. I'm gonna. Re- I'm listening to jo- Justin. Do- Justin, we're gonna hear your voice tonight. Can do you want to share how you? Because Justin has. Let me tell you a little quickly about Justin. Justin, I'm gonna move you over here. And I don't. I know I didn't put you on the spot. So if you don't. If you're not ready to put your camera on. Let me just at least um, hear your voice. So I got introduced to Justin by a young man in Taiwan. So a young man in Taiwan introduced me to a young man in Alameda. Alameda is right across, right next to me. Um, and then Justin took this work, the movement to his school. And through him introducing the work to his school, over 1,250 students have now made masks as a part of the Million Mask Movement. And the new model of our work, like it's not gonna be me presenting at all these schools, it's gonna be peers. So Justin helped us to create this new program called the Peer Mentoring. So Justin, what what was it that made it comfortable for you? Because Brandon's question was, and we're gonna get to these other questions too, but I wanna make sure this one is really, I think a lot of people put thumbs up on this question. Um, was what was it made what made it safe for you to start talking about this with your peers and with others what was it about the experience or what was it just about the what we created that made it comfortable for you I mean for me it was like during these rough times it was nice to see everyone come together like even though it was over zoom Mm -hmm. every like everything started feeling like it was separated like everyone was losing themselves like in many different ways and I even lost myself in the beginning of quarantine and it was like the only way I could pick myself up is by hopefully helping others out and that's how I usually like growing up that's how I've usually been just trying to be there for others before being myself like being a selfless person but, I mean from the like results that we did at my school it's been like a great movement and many people have can't like they've come to me and been like hey thank you for bringing this I've been going through rough times I mean, me, I'm an aspiring, like, filmmaker, and so I made a film about masks, and just having them being comfortable with me talking made it feel like I would be comfortable with, like, myself talking to them. Like, it's like a whole community between a couple people, but, I mean, it's been a great experience, and I hope to move forward with it. You know, um, I'm going to put your um, document, your, your, the film you made in the chat. So for those, um, you can please go watch it and, and share it. It's really powerful. Um, and so I'm going to put that in there for folks to see. Justin, thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. Don't leave because we're going to have more questions that come your way. Because I'm, I'm, I think that it's important for us to hear from the young people, right? I think what, what oftentimes schools fail to do is they have a bunch of older people making decisions for younger people who have forgotten what it was like to be a younger person and what it was like to be a younger person when they were young is very different than what it's like today as you can imagine and so I think that we need more young people in our advisory councils and more young people in the boards and not just a not just a seat on the board where they just sit there I'm talking about like they get to be a part of decision making and so if any board people in here, you know what I'm talking about. So um, I'm, I'm going to leave that one for, the, for a later conversation. So the next question that, that was uh, voted up was this one. It says, um, where can, this is for you, Alex, where can people view this movie if they want to promote it in their social media platforms? Okay. So, so the first thing is that we have, I'm pretty useless at this, but we have a Twitter and Instagram handle. 
and it's uh, at uh, future is humane with an e on the end so future is humane um, and we intend to do this is the first screening this is the premiere and people can um, follow us on on those handles and we will do more screenings in the US because I think it's 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 a wonderful opportunity for debate and discussion. Um, and this is the first time I do this with my films. Uh, normally, I just give it to a distributor. He gives it to, to broadcasters, and that's the end for me, and I start on the new. But I felt that this was a, an important film. So, yeah, uh, social media, and um, there is also a website that you can find through the social media. Um, where people can actually individually watch the film as well if they want. They can stream it. Um, so, yeah, there's the, I think it's the handle that's the most important uh, at Future, Future is Humane. The next one here says, uh, it's by Sean. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Um, there was a connection made to how promoting equality and democracy can be a threat to masculinity. Can someone elaborate how that works? Um, I swore I heard something like, um, in the movie, but I didn't get the connection. Um, and then some of the uh, added uh, comments to that question was, uh, it was Carol Gilligan who said it, that was right. And then all of, um, all you have to do is look at the huge presence of white supremacy. Let me read this. All you have to do is look at the huge presence of white supremacy and everything that's happened in the country in the last four years to see the reaction to that threat happening in real time. And um, that's the question, um, that's what um, Carol Gilligan said when, um, masculinity is threatened, violence is, I think she used the word, inevitable. Imminent, is, yeah. Is that right? Imminent. Imminent, Imminent. excuse me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so that is, do either you want to speak to that context of that statement? Sure. I mean, Carol was my mentor and advisor for my graduate work, and she's brilliant. And I want to mention on the topic of that question, she has a wonderful book called Why Does Patriarchy Persist that she wrote with Naomi Snyder. And so definitely check that out. It's, um, but if, in case you want to see a video of her speaking about the main points of that book, you can also just Google Gilligan and Snyder at Strand Bookstore because they did a book launch in New York City um, in January 2019 covering the first 30 minutes covers the main point of that. But in a nutshell, it's kind of saying that patriarchy, when they talk about it, it's a, it's a hierarchy. It's a hierarchy that privileges men over women and some men over other men. And so when you're talking about a patriarchy, it's inherently unequal, which is how it runs, you know, it, how it hinders and runs in, in, and is contrary by nature to democracy where everyone has an equal voice that's valid, that's equally valued. And so she's saying that when we um, focus on reproducing patriarchy, which is to say that men should always have you know, privileges and dominance and value over women, or, you know, again, some groups over others, then um, in order for that to persist and continue, you have to oppress some and, and, and elevate others. And so that's how those things, you know, kind of by definition can't coexist. Yeah, thank you, Judy, for that. And the only thing I'll say about it is, um, here's what, here's what I, I know, um, I don't do a lot of data talking, but just what I know is that, um, our, our jails are full of men. 94% of people in the United States who are in prison are men. And so either, and, I, and you can look at the data, I don't know the data about who, or the, what are the violent crimes versus other crimes, but violent crimes are a high percentage. Um, and the question is either men are just bad or that there's something we taught men when they were boys that when they become adults, th those rules 
are no longer letting them stay a lot, stay free. And what we see oftentimes in, in my work is, you know, we, I, I use the example of King of the Hill, right? When the people, all the families are at a picnic and the strongest little five-year-old is pushing everybody down and he stands on top of everybody. He's like, oh my God, it's so cute. Well, it's cute when you're five, but when you're 15, it'll get you arrested. So when do you begin to break out of that need to get an affirmation by people by being the toughest and the strongest by being the, by being dominant over others? And, and when does that stop? So uh, thanks, Sean, for asking that question. I, I, I'm just going to kind of keep moving through the questions. I know, I know it may not be we may not answer everybody's question to the final degree of it, but hopefully it's just a conversation. And if, and if there's more, please add more. And if there's something in the chat you want to say, please add more in the chat to the conversation, because I'm not here technically. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say I'm not here as an expert, but um, I'm learning that. I've been doing this work a long time, and so I, I'm learning that the work that I've been learning through working with young men for the last 20 years through ever forward for the last 16 um, and just in my life growing up um, leads me just to answer it in a way that feels right to me. And so um, that's what I'll say for that. Okay. Thank you. Um, I know I got Francisco up here. Did, Francisco, are you ready to help us understand a little more context for your question just so that we can either get it answered by the right person? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no worries. I I think I think you have are you are you on two mics? I think I have you on two mics. Let me, yeah, I had you on two different devices. <laughs> oh, we're watching this on, on 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 split screen. That's yeah, I gotta awesome. get you on. I gotta get you on the big screen, you know. <laughs> Gotta see that smile up there. <laughs> Thank you for being here, man. Good to, good yeah, to have you here. So I just want to make sure we understood we we answered your question correctly. So uh, the question that you said, what are the things that our adults and students can practice on the daily? Yeah, like, and I think you mentioned some, some of it, like just building relationships and, and connecting in that way. But uh, like, yeah, what are some practices that we could do at home with our kids? What are some things that we could do at school uh, to kind of to kind of make the shift that the film was like speaking of? And so and what are some practices that that are that are our students could do on their own? to kind of help support each other. And you, you mentioned some of this stuff, but if you could just elaborate on some of that, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Alex, you were around the world. You were in lots of different countries making this film. Did you, um, based on, besides the ones that you showed in the film, are there other things that you saw people doing, practices they were using to give people, young people, more room to breathe into their full being? Um, hmm. I, I think it's difficult uh, to to prescribe anything particular, but I think I think it's again it's down to this uh, accepting, you know. And I I believe, for example, that uh, what one of the things that you can do is to go on the same journey. So one person's on a journey, say your son or your daughter, whatever. And um, they have, whether it's about their identity, whether it's about how they feel about life and so on. And a lot of times institutions and parents just say, listen, you'll grow out of this. Listen, this isn't, uh, you know, and so on. But actually participating in their journey and, and taking it uh, and, and kind of uh, having them convince you and explain to you and bring you into their world and doing that sincerely um, provides or you know authentication authentication I don't know it gives them a sense of feeling authentic and then you can explore that together so it's about it's about taking people 
you know, people's feelings seriously. And I think it's difficult because society, you know, anytime you have schools, you have even parenting, you're, you're, you're sort of channeled into how to think and by examples and or by discipline and so on. So I think it, if you want to break that cycle, you have to be very individual, intimate, um, listen, participate, all those things, I think. So it's very one-to-one. It's not, it's a, it's not an um, prescribed uh, system. It's just a way of being, I think, with, with whoever you want to participate with, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, and also, um, Judy, did you want to answer anything on that? Because I know you did a lot of work with boys and the schools in your research. Do you know any other practices that, um, that you, you saw those schools began to try after they learned kind of the behaviors that were showing up? Actually, I think you are probably the best position to talk about this because your workshops do exactly this magic of like, you know, joining, you know, making people feel like they're joined, that they're not alone and inviting them in. So you should probably share some of your secrets to your successes. I think that's a perfect answer to his question. Well, you know, thank you. Thank you, Judy. And thank you, Alex, for your answer. So one of the things that we saw in the work that we've been doing around the mask and what you saw the young men and the men in the circle doing was first just the first layer, I think, is giving a space just to kind of get grounded into what's real for us right now. In the moment, um, like the conversation that subsued that, that happened after you saw us make the mask was a conversation where people got to open up. We don't start like, here, let's open up. We start with like, well, let's just get clear that we're all going through some human stuff. And the mask activity, as you heard, if you haven't seen it, and we put the link in the chat so that you can, um, and somebody can drop that in there again, we invite you to go make a mask. We, we've collected over 50,000 masks from over 20 countries. And what we see where, wherever country we're in is that people understand this idea that part of myself is to show on the outside what people can handle what people can tolerate, what people will, won't make shame me for. What, like if I want to fit in, and we know some people don't want to fit in, but for those who want to fit in and, and, and be easygoing, you just say, fine, how you doing? I'm good, I'm cool, I'm fine. Even if you're not. And a lot of the young men, when I ask them, why do they say they're fine when they don't, they're clear. Uh, we don't want to bother people with our problems. We don't want to talk about it. And you heard the young men, in, in, well, not the young men, but the men in Japan say, look, I don't, if I ask somebody for help, that's going to make them have power over me because that means they know I don't know it, right? Like the fear of like not talking about it, is, is, it can be as deep, deep as like isolating myself away so I don't ask anybody for any help. Um, and I think that what we try and do in our work and, and is to give people a space to say, there's more going on with you than anybody can see by looking at you. And we can all get to that place of recognizing that, hey, I may be smiling on the outside, but maybe, maybe I, there's other stuff happening. And we can get clear. I think intellectual, we all know that. But when we actually see it in the room, we actually can just put our finger on it. Then we can breathe and say, OK, am I willing in this space knowing that other people are going through real stuff to take off one of these masks or a couple of layers of the mask? Because sometimes the ma taking off one of the mask layers of masks have other masks. There, there's one question where someone says, um, let me see. Um, here's, is, is the mother of sons. So Laurel, Laurel, thank you for this question. I'm the mother of three sons. What are some practical ways I can form them to be emotionally healthy and break the traditional male norms? And, um, yeah, I'm gonna just take a breath. And I'm gonna take a breath. And if you read Judy's book, you know, she, she, she has some amazing stories in her book. So I encourage you to Judy, um, 
remind uh, will you remind us the name of your book i know um, i want to make sure that because i think that for parents in the room for mothers in the room who are raising boys or who have boys um you know that there's a lot going on um more than maybe you can even explain in the moment but you see it right and so um i'll 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 let you go first, Judy, in that question, and then I'll I'll add something in. Um, but the question says, um, "I'm a mother. Wait, where did it go? Oh, I'm a mother of three sons. What are some practical ways I can form them to be emotionally healthy and break the traditional male norms?" Um, that's a great question. That's also a very um, a big a big question to answer. Uh, to, to respond to your uh, first, my, the title of my book is When Boys Become Boys. And the second boys is supposed to be in quotes. So kind of when boys are learning what it means to be a quote unquote real boy or real man. But in terms of um, what parents can do, I think a lot of it has to do, you know, like I said, starting with listening. And that has to do with presence, the way that we're present with them. And so most importantly, I found in listening to parents and also, you know, first and foremost, listening to boys talk is, you know, they don't want someone coming in to fix them, you know, with the intention to fix them, or even with the best intentions, right? Not, not to fix them, not to advise them, but most important to the boys themselves, it seems to be to, to know that they're not alone, that if they're struggling, that the problem isn't them, that maybe they're up against something real. And I, that's also, you know, what the film shows is like kind of these constructions of masculinity are really putting boys and men in a difficult spot. And, but our society makes them feel like if you're having a hard time with this, well, you're weak, you're problematic. The problem is the individual. But what these, you know, what Alex's film shows is that actually there's a bigger phenomenon going on globally, not just even in the States. And so really helping them to feel validated when they, you know, cause they are, they are really astute, you know, it, you know, all people are really astute. They're, they're actively reading the room. This, that's why they, when they know when they can trust the situation. They know when they're, when the space is safe, but they're actively reading all the messages, all the, all people's behaviors, what, how they can be. They're figuring out how it's possible for them as boys to be with other people, right? And so you as a parent can really offer a really valuable sounding board for them by joining them and saying, you know, there's space here, at least here, maybe not in every aspect of your life, but here there's a space for you to come in, be yourself and you will be va valued and loved and accepted and you are worthy. And, you know, it kind of goes back to a very simple message in that sense, but helping them to um, develop, you know, what Terry Real and was doing with this, those men is kind of developing a sense of worth that they can then carry into other situations. You know, they may not be able to, you know, be authentically themselves everywhere and with everyone, but they know there's a place they can be so they can recognize and develop some sense of confidence in who they are. And so that's one of the things that you definitely, as a parent, can foster. But I'll stop there before I take up more time. Yeah, Alex, if you want to jump in here too, you can. I just want to say one of the things that I, I see in our work with um, with parents and what we talk to parents about is leaving the room for communication open. Like some parents think they know their child more than the child knows them. And I would just kind of say that they probably, they probably know you just as much as you know them. They're reading your <laughs> body language. They read, like I, when my mom used to come home from work, I could, when I hear her car and the car was noisy. So I, I would look out the window and I would see how she grabbed her purse, how she closed the door. And I knew whether it was going to be a good afternoon or a rough afternoon. Right. Yeah. So I would like be like, okay, alert, alert. It'd be like the movie inside out. I was like, everybody get to your spaces, get to the, continue <laughs> doing homework. Like it was like a, a it was like a, a show to make sure that you just like keep the peace, right? Because they read you. The reason we try to make it so simple is because we don't want to overthink it. 
It's one picture, it's six words. It's one picture and six words. What's on the front of the mask is the things I'd gladly let people see and what's on the back of mask. And I think that regardless of the ages, I'm sure I have some younger masks over here, but what, regardless, like there's, there's this idea, let me try and get you to see this one. This is one of the masks. So this is on the outside, the front of the mask, the things on the outside and the things behind the mask. And I think that what we see, and for those who can't see it, it's just on the front, soccer, family, friends, and the back of the mask, family, things I don't talk about or don't share much about, family with health problems, my problems, and my feelings And as a 14-year-old male. So I think being able to have an activity, something really simple, where you just begin to start having conversation about feelings and giving them language about feelings. I think what happens is most people don't even have a lot of language about feelings. Mm. And there's a quote, I don't know who says it, but it's like, if for a person who only has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if getting angry is the only way you know how to navigate life, you're going to hammer everything. Every time something happens, you turn it into anger, whether it's sadness, you turn it into anger, fear, turn it into anger, like embarrassment, you turn it into like all these things get shoved into anger because in a lot of communities, anger is respected for men. And so anyway, I'll stop there because I can go on forever about that. So thank you for that question. I really appreciate that. Um, there's a couple more questions in here. I want to make sure maybe um, I know um, Adam, you somebody else is in here looking into some of the questions. Here's one question here. It says, um, um, I'll maybe say, make, try and get in order. But this one says, um, well, Stacey said, I want, I need to see this a few more times. <laughs> and then her question was, have you connected with the LGBTQ community um, like HRC? I'm not sure what HRC stands for. Please help me with that acronym um, about having a viewing of this film. And so um, I think, Alex, you spoke to like more viewings coming. So um, I, I don't, um, Stacey, if you can maybe um, um, let them know about this documentary and maybe begin the conversation, yeah. maybe you can support yeah. them. To, yeah, that would and be very helpful. Okay. That would be very helpful, actually. Great. But um, yes, Aiden in the film uh, deals with uh, giving more breathing room um, and for people to have, uh, you know, trans people, for example. So I imagine we'll do a showing with them, a screening with them. But yeah, it would, it, it, I think it's really important. Yeah, thank you. I know there's a comment in the chat um, there was a, I was a, um, I want to say Anke, I'm, I'm going to pronounce that right. It says, what we do often, what we do with our boys at home sometimes is we ask the simple how they feel and, um, and we don't settle for good and bad. We ask them more detail to be specific. We want them to learn to talk about their, oh, this is giving a specific example. We ask them to be more specific and um, in detail, we want them to learn to talk about their feelings. This is something one can do on a more day-to-day um, -day basis uh, as a mini step. Thank you for, um, I think I want to pronounce Anke. I want to say thank you for, um, for that comment there. Um, there's another question here in the chat. Um, uh, this one says, um, wonderful piece. It's great to see um, ethnicities represented beyond just black and white. Any thoughts on the similarities, differences with Native American, Asian, Indian, and other cultures? Um, that was a question. Any thoughts on the similarities, differences with Native American, Asian, Asian Indian, or other cultures? That's the question. Um, and I'll just say for me, um, you know, I taught in India for one year, eight months. I did a Fulbright Fellowship. Um, and one thing I learned being in India was really 
like a lot of I learned a lot. So I'm going to say that um, one of the things I was really shocked by was how close men had permission to be with each other in friendships that that sometimes shocked me. Right. It's like men could walk down the street holding hands and they would, you know, they, they would, you know, embrace each other. And it was not it was not sexual. It was in just intimate friendship that I mean, I. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area, but it's often something you don't see often. I grew up in Oakland, but I know that some people are more comfortable with it. And some people were like, whoa, what's happening there? But I think that I learned a lot about just having permission just to be like, this is my this is my friend. This is my this is my like my best friend like to. And, and, and we saw what I see here is that there's such a lack and opportunity for that. And I don't I'm only speaking about that. I don't know much about Native American communities around that. So I can't speak to that. But if it, does anybody want to answer or have anything they want like to add? Um, this question was about Native American, Asian Indian or other cultures. Anything I'd add on that is that it's, it's, it's a super interesting topic that in, in India, because men have permission to be super close. But then when it comes to women, it's the exact opposite. You know, women and men cannot hold hands, can't even, you know, so it's got a, it's got a flip side to it. But I, I do think that, uh, uh, yeah, permission to be, also in the Middle East, they're like that as well. Um, and I think this idea of having, having a really close friend, feeling a bond with someone is really important. Uh, but it, for some reason, it has this flip side. The more you sort of become close with your buddies uh, as men, then... It shouldn't be at the cost of alienating women, but that's a whole different uh, area, I guess. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna move to the next question, uh, and thank you for the question. So um, I know there's a lot to lot to maybe um, to talk about there. Um, another question from Marshall says: um, For many years, I've been thinking about um, the solution to patriarchy is coarchy. Are, mm, uh, nice, nice coarchy. Are there any, um, are any of you willing to speak about this concept, um, coarchy? So that's that one. And then it, uh, and one a comment to that was it was interesting how the therapist said the problem with recent counter movements is that they focus on individual empowerment rather than relational empowerment. Um, so the idea of patriarchy versus coarchy. Uh, does anybody have a, a thought to that answer? Nope. I could I could just say one thing that I think that um, patriarchy uh, works on the basis of hierarchy. So you can have matriarchy. So you could have women. Uh, there are matri there were matriarchal societies. So the whole point is that uh, the, the the word hierarchy is still in patriarchy, coarchy, whichever you know. And the idea is how do you get to a situation where because uh, this involves race, it involves religion, it involves everything where, you know, castes in India, whatever. The whole idea is to achieve a situation where there isn't an archy in an ideal world. Um, so I think one has to start with the idea of dismantling hierarchies and, and fighting hierarchies, whether it's men, women, whether it's between races and color and so on. It's, 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 it's all about positioning. And and thinking about that, there's a, there was a question that talks about uh, that is in the patriarchy uh, conversation is that um, like do we find that the harmful effects of patriarchy as well are in some ways reinforced through um, violent sports like football and hockey and then and it's also how do we think about addressing that so I think there's a lot 
definitely to be said about that. Jason, thank you for that question. Um, definitely some things that I, I talk to students about all the time, but also in the sense that how do we encourage them to be good at these sports, but also unless, uh, without taking, this, taking the, the idea to head where we're, where we have to hurt. I mean, some sports are yours. Those are hurt the other person technically right you're i mean to tackle somebody is just like not just to make them hit the ground it's actually the the crowd erupts when you get a hard hit right so there's so many things that are embedded in in our culture and definitely in video games um and, and we can come back yeah i say one thing on this just yeah please to, do please do yeah there's another film in the series which is on uh, fairness it was the one before this on the concept of what's fair and equitable and uh, one of the things was there was a Norwegian researcher that talks about how in Norway, for example, in sports, um, up to the age of, say, 10 or 12, they play football. If one side's not doing well, you can add more players. It's fine. No problem. Just have fun. It doesn't matter what the score really is. Um, as long as everything is going you know, good for both sides, you can add more players and so on. And so at the age of about 12, meritocracy comes in you know so it's like who's the best team who's the best in the class who's the and so this measurement of who's the best is also the basis of uh, sports and so on and so forth and so in a way meritocracy also should be looked at you know do we value just the best person do we value just the best dancer the best singer the best anything um so that's uh, yeah, thank you, Alex. You know, there's a couple of questions around some, um, I think there's some parents here. So I want to talk about this because it talks about um, a, a parent who has three sons, um, the youngest, um, sixth grade. Um, he's very sensitive um, and expresses his emotions easily. Um, we actually worry that he's sometimes too emotional and can't control his emotions when he reacts so strongly to things. For example, he cries in class and now on Zoom, but in person last year. Um, when he doesn't understand material, how I gauge whether his emotions are appropriate or too overwhelming for him. There's one, the, the idea of, uh, of a boy whose parent is feeling like maybe sometimes too emotional. And then another parent saying, well, I see my son's like block out emotions and go back to like, I don't feel nothing. I'm totally good. Everything's fine. Right. So we get the two kind of sides of that. Um, and I think that um, the, the question that, um, that we may tackle is like, what are, what are the balances? And I think that first I want to say it for me, it's, it's a really tough question. Cause I know that what I see with a lot of parents, I have um, some parents who send their kids to do karate and then the kid becomes so tough that now he doesn't, he's like a baby Cobra. He doesn't even know how to navigate his own strength. So he's now chopping everybody in the playground cause he's got this newfound strength. And how do you keep him from being now the bully that he you're trying to protect him from, right? And I think that those are just become for me the, the, my, the my answer my is in the idea of these conversations just require continual revisiting, continual revisiting. Like as we get to there's a mood meter. If you go um, just go on Google and type in mood meet mood meter, I think it's like a mood meter. Because all these words for language, right? All these words for for feelings and emotions, and I think that. Um, is how do we begin to like let them navigate? So what are you feeling right now? Like let's look at this chart. You know, from high energy to low energy, from um, high in, high from um, 
you know, positive emotion to kind of more negative emotion? Like where, how do we begin to like navigate so that they can begin picking out? Because if the tears, tears can mean lots of different things. People cry when they're happy and they cry when they're sad. So what are the tears? And I think that when we give them a space to like start learning language, like, well, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling, I'm feeling just, you know, nervous. I'm feeling scared. Like the tears can come from so many different ways. Um, and so I, I, that's the way I would talk about that. And I say for the, for the older boys, it's, it takes practice. And then recognizing where do you see it in your life? And it requires us to come back to schools more than once. And so I think, you know, first is getting schools to be willing to bring us in and then being willing to bring us in again to continue. And them as educators continue the work because we, we create the digital tools so that they can do it themselves. But you got to keep revisiting the conversation because the mask is, is programmed. It was programmed when they were little. It, it didn't get programmed just when they went to high school or middle school. It, it, it was a progression of layers of masks that happened. And I think you said it really well. I think, I mean, the central themes of kind of raising awareness and critical reflections so that, you know, the things that boys are reading in their culture and environment, giving them the tools, the language, because if you, if you have words for it, then you can manage it. Right. doesn't mean you can control it. And I don't think that's necessarily the, the goal anyway. And it's not even necessarily to change boys' behaviors because, you know, we can't eat. No individual can just change it. Otherwise, we'd all exercise and eat healthy all the time or whatever. I mean, so it's really about being more having empathy for ourselves and for each other, giving people space to make mistakes, to recognize their vulnerabilities, you know, to practice kind of their doing their best as best as they can daily, I'm all over the place. But the central theme is really like about shifting this paradigm from one that has for a long time historically emphasized, you know, um, individualism at the price of disconnection, right? And moving towards a new paradigm that really puts at its center the value of connection because all, you know, boys and men, but also you know, all, all people everywhere, regardless you know, of all genders, really are seeking connections and resisting disconnection. So the more that we can really acknowledge that connections are essential to our health, physical mm -hmm. and mental health, and to our happiness, then maybe we can start to reprioritize the things that we've been told are important and you know, replacing the things we've been told are important with the things that actually will, will, will make our lives more, you know, bring more content and, 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 and honest um, and then valued and to the things that we do and pursue. I'm gonna let um, Judy um, do her last words and then Alex. I would just add if we can, if anyone has any suggestions of organizations or, or that we can group together to have a screening. Um, we, we wanna have more screenings. Uh, we wanna have more discussions like this. And so maybe uh, there's also, about, I have to say this, there's information on, more on the film, more on Ashanti, uh, more on, on at, at this, uh, at the future is humane. Um, if people want to, to follow us, that would be great and make suggestions of where we can screen, how we can help. And uh, it will also, I, I think, also get the word out about uh, Ashanti, um, the more people that follow. We've, we've tried to broaden the, the conversation as much as possible. Yeah. Judy, do you want to say something last um, last words before we go? And I'll stay behind if anybody wants to stay stay behind in the room. But um, but we're gonna I'm, I'm gonna release our panelists who were just so generous of their time for us. And um, but I just wanted to make sure that I, I respect. I'm already five minutes over, but I do I do thank you all for being hanging in here with us. Hey, Judy. Hey, I just want to say thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. It's been a privilege. I, and thank you to everyone for their wonderful questions. Ashanti, you did a great job posting. Alex, thank you for making this film. Thank you.
Thank you. If what you heard today you enjoyed, if you've listened to this and you found something inspiring, please like and subscribe to this podcast. That's the best way for someone to uh, find this podcast, maybe like you did. Um, please tell someone about it. If you know, listen to some of our previous episodes, and if one of them rings out to you, please share it with somebody you know. Um, we also invite people to join us in a face-to-face where they come together with another person to make a mask and talk about that mask together. There's short conversations, about 20, 30 minutes. So if that's something that's interesting to you, please uh, send us a message, send us a, in the comments below, let us know that you're interested in that. And we look forward to you joining the movement of the Million Mask Movement. And check out our new shirt. I don't know if you, how you can, if you can see it, but this is our new shirt, the Million Mask Movement. And so uh, we'll have these soon available, uh, but we look forward to you being a part of the movement and supporting our work. Uh, please consider supporting the work that we do in Ever Forward and in the work that we do in the Million Mask Movement to let people around the world realize that they're not alone. Thank you.